0: come on good morning church happy new year how's everybody doing today come on winter Park's still waking up a little bit that's all right winter park help me wish happy new year to sanford south orlando and everybody online come on let's wish them happy new year welcome Man, I don't know about you, but 2021, uh, it just has the feeling that I'm never gonna get tired of hearing people telling me Happy New Year, right? I'm three days in, I'm still embracing it, I'm along for the ride. Uh, man, if we haven't met, my name is Tyler. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Action. Uh, I serve on our spiritual leadership team, I serve on our our teaching team, and my wife, Kelly, and I, um, and we've been part of the church since we since we launched it back in 2014. What's kind of crazy is is Action Church turned seven years old in just a couple of weeks, and so we're gonna be celebrating our anniversary. And man, it's gonna be an awesome, you don't wanna miss it, it's gonna be an awesome Sunday. And uh, man, I'm just so grateful. I, I, I honor God and all that he's doing in and through this church. I honor our lead pastor, Pastor Justin, the way that he leads this church. And uh, man, I thank you for that. And I man, it's just a special special thing that we're part of. And as Pastor John mentioned, I do love a good cardigan. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a learned man, uh, and so I feel like I look good today, Pastor John. The trendy dad is the look I was going for, so uh, glad we accomplished that. But hey, look, I know where you're at right now, right? It's a new year. We're three days into 2021, and you have spent the last 72 hours planning 2021, setting these resolutions, setting these goals. Here's how my life's going to be different. And you came to church today, which give yourself a hand, you're starting your new year off on the right foot you're at church that's a good thing right but you're setting off you're setting off your new year now thinking man i'm going to go to church and the pastor's going to teach me the three ways to make my goals happen right i need to i need to have the three biblical principles to make sure that my 21 is godly and successful and i got a little bit of bad news for you that's not what this message is about today all right but here's the thing Before you get too let down, I do want to talk a little bit about a New Year's kind of idea, a New Year's kind of a topic. And it's the topic of focus. Everybody say focus. 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 Come on. Focus is an important word in our world right now. Right? We live in a world that is entirely unfocused. Right, let me just kind of illustrate it for a second. Just a couple of days ago, I was at the outlet mall, like many of you were, uh, returning some Christmas uh, purchases, right? They didn't fit right, or whatever, whatever reason. Uh, and I was at the outlet mall, and there's a young couple walking towards me, and I noticed that they were both staring at their palms on their phone. And what I have learned in these last couple of years of my life is, you got to learn how to be a defensive walker in this life, right? You've heard of defensive driving. We live in an era now. You got to be a defensive walker and so I was anticipating a head-on collision here and so I saw it happening it was 10 yards out and five yards out and three yards out at the very last moment I swerved up onto a curb and into a planner's bed and as this this young couple walked by me I said focus and the kid jumped, he almost dropped his phone, almost had a heart attack. I felt bad for a second. I was like, man, I'm trying, I'm trying to help you out. I'm up in the weeds here, man. You gotta, you gotta focus. We gotta focus, right? My own family, my own family can struggle with focusing at times. Man, just the other day, we were driving. I asked, hey, hey, what do you guys want for lunch? And it was crickets, crickets in the car. I look over, my wife is scrolling Instagram. I look in the back seat. My kids are on their devices. I'm like, hey, Focus, guys, let's wake up. What do we want for lunch? Hello, dad is here. He's talking, uh, right? And even my own, my own life, my own self, man, I struggle sometimes with, with focusing, with focusing. It's such, it's such a difficult thing at times in life. And hey, sometimes our lack of focus is innocent like the examples that, that we just referenced. But, but sometimes in life, man, our, our lack of focus, it can be significant, right? It can have costly consequences, and go, go back with me for uh, just a second, back to the year that was 2020. And and 2020 had us doing all sorts of things that we never anticipated uh, doing, right? You've seen some of the memes maybe, like like wearing a mask, going into a bank and asking for money. It's something that, that you never thought was be okay or see yourself doing, right? My, my sister-in-law, she converted her laundry room to her home office. She literally has like a poster of New York City hiding her dirty clothes for her Zoom calls, hanging in her laundry Room, right? Just things that we never thought we would see ourselves doing. And for my family and I, one of those things was, was spending an afternoon picking blueberries in the middle of nowhere, right? So let's go back to the month of, of May. If you're here in Florida where we're at, uh, right, we had a six-week or so period where, man, our, our state was just shut down, and we're all in quarantine, and we're all we're doing our best to honor and, and live by those guidelines. My my family and I we were trying our best, man, to stay uh, within those guidelines. And then phase two happened, and mom and dad were ready for a little break. We had a little outbreak, right? We had to get out, I man. We got to get some space. I got to get these kids out of my out of my like 1,500 square foot townhome. We gotta we gotta get some room here. We gotta we gotta run around. And so my my wife had an afternoon planned where uh, we went to literally the middle of nowhere to pick blueberries. That was our our plan, and so we load up in the car. We're excited. We got an outing, and we drive uh, an hour and a half to Claremont. Uh, I'm winding down these dirt roads, and and left turn here, right turn there. I'm not even sure what's happening, praying that we don't run out of gas, right? I just, I I don't know what's going on, and boom, all of a sudden, the dirt road opens up, and it's this massive blueberry field. And what I noticed very quickly is we weren't the only ones that day anticipating to pick blueberries. There were mobs of people at this farm, all right? So we find a a parking spot, and uh, we park the car, we start unloading, and uh, my 11-year-old son is getting out of the car, and he's he's upset that there's not Fortnite at the farm, right? And so he's complaining, my nine-year-old daughter's getting out of the car, and she's complaining because it's hot, and she's going to ruin her nice shoes. She's all about fashion and all about looking good right? But my my seven-year-old daughter, Elle, she got out of the car and she was excited because it was an adventure. I was like, my girl, Elle, let's go. We're going to go pick some blueberries. We're going to go make the most uh, of this afternoon. And so we did. We grabbed grabbed a couple of baskets uh, and we were some blueberry picking fools. And we went all around this farm and we went to the furthest corner of this farm picking blueberries. I mean, it was like a mile away from where we parked, uh, and we're, we're just having the time of our lives filling up these baskets with blueberries, and my daughter Elle and I were talking. We're going back and forth, and uh, she's talking to me, uh, explaining how much fun she's having, and all of a sudden, I look at her, and I notice something. She's, she's kind of swaying a little bit. I said, hey, Elle, you all right? And as soon as I asked that, she goes, boom, face first into a blueberry bush, So I'm like, what What is happening right now? I I pick her up and I I look at her. Her eyes are kind of rolling back in her head and I'm yelling for Kelly and my other two kids. Hey, we got to get her back to the car. I think she's dehydrated and she passed out. And so I scoop her up into my arms and and we're going back to the car as fast as we can. It's like a scene out of Hacksaw Ridge, right? I got her scooped up in my arms. I mean, she's like trying to keep her awake, right? I'm not sure, I'm not a doctor. I'm not sure if that's what you're supposed to do, but I've seen a couple episodes of Grey's Anatomy, so I'm like slapping her face. (laughs) Don't die on me, you're not losing you, right? And so we're running back to the car. Uh, And on that journey back to the car, my wife said something to Elle. She said something that stuck with me. She said, Elle, baby, don't worry. It's mommy and daddy's fault. We forgot to pack water. We get her back to the car. We got her water. She was totally dehydrated, totally fine, totally okay. But that statement is where I wanna go back to. Because you see, we got caught up in the moment We got caught up in the excitement. We got caught up in the frustration with my two older kids complaining about this trip. We got caught up in the mobs and mobs of people. We got to beat the crowd. I got so focused on all of those things that I forgot the most important thing, right? Have you been there before? Have you forgotten something really important if you're a parent, you're not judging me too hard. Man, you forgot a bottle, a diaper bag, a shoe. Maybe we have some friends that forgot uh, shoes for their kids. They got all the way to Disney and they realized they didn't have shoes on one of their kids, right? And we've been there before if you're a parent. If you're not a parent, if you're not a parent, you, you've been there before. You've taken a road trip, you forgot your wallet, forgot a phone charger. But you get in the hotel, you unpack your bag. Like, I'm an idiot, I forgot my phone charger. We've all, we've all been there before or maybe... Maybe your lack of focus has been in a more intense situation. It's been an altercation or an argument with a friend, a, a family member, a spouse, and you've left that altercation thinking, I knew better than to respond that way. I just got caught up in the moment. I lost my focus. Focus. Focus, it's an important thing. In the Bible, it talks a lot about focus. In fact, we're gonna take a look here at a verse in Hebrews 12. And if you're looking for a verse for your year, if you're that kind of person that just wants a verse to kind of cling to for the new year, this is a great verse to do that too. But Hebrews 12, it says this. It says, let us strip off every weight. Let's say weight together, church here. Weight, great, three of you, awesome. Let's strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this. Here's what's so key for us today, church. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. There's a couple of words from this verse that I wanna highlight for us here today. The first is that word weight. That word weight it means burden. It means something that is heavy. If you know anything about life, life is constantly going to be throwing things at you that are attempts to take your focus off of Jesus and onto those things. The verse is acknowledging that there's going to be weights in life. And the only way, the only way we get through those weights, the only way we get through those difficult seasons is by keeping our eyes fixed or keeping our focus on Jesus. That other phrase there is, it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Another translation reads, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And the best way I could think of uh, studying that verse, think of illustrating it for you today, is think of a basketball arena. We've been to a Magic game or maybe a UCF basketball game. There's something in basketball known as a free throw. When a player is fouled, the player that gets fouled, shoots a free throw, and it's just the, the player, the ball, in the basket. The only other thing that's happening at that time are thousands and thousands of fans doing their best to distract that player from making his basket. I mean, if you think about a basketball goal, it's a glass backboard. Right on the other side of that transparent backboard are thousands of fans taking their shirt off. They got signs. They're waving their hands. They're doing all sorts of appropriate and inappropriate gestures to try to get the focus of that shooter off of the goal and onto them, right? But a good free throw shooter knows how to take a breath and focus on the basket. There's a fixed focus, that's what I wanna look at today because the only way that we run the race of life with endurance, the only way that we don't fall short, that we don't quit, that we don't give up is by keeping a fixed focus on Jesus. We've gotta focus, right? And, and that's what I wanna look at today. I wanna to look at how we keep a fixed focus on Jesus because church focus determines everything. We just came out of a year that, that proved that. How's your 2021 gonna be different? Well, it starts with focus. What are you gonna be focused on In Hebrews 12, 2, it lays a great foundation that that I wanna build on here today as we study a a familiar story together. Uh, Hey, did anybody watch like, anybody love throwback Christmas movies? Anybody like, like you just spent, come on, yes, you just spent a couple of weeks watching throwback Christmas movies with your family. Uh, Just a little side note here, if you're doing it with your kids, don't watch anything made in the 80s, completely inappropriate and wildly, wildly shocking. I have no idea what my parents were thinking letting me watch some of those movies. I also understand why at 39 any counseling, right? Those Christmas movies, completely, completely unacceptable, uh, right? But we're going to look at a family classic story here together, the story of David and Goliath. And the filter that I want to read it through today is focus determines everything. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Samuel 17. We're gonna start right at the beginning, verse one. We're gonna kind of read this story and pause from time to time just to kind of pull out some principles that I think are important for us here this morning. So let's start, 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines got ready for war. They brought their troops together to attack. King Saul and the Israelite army set up camp on a hill overlooking Elah Valley. They got ready to fight the Philistine army that was on a hill on the other side of the valley. Let's pause for a second. This is just one day, without warning, all of a sudden, the Philistines decide they wanna go to war. If you're an Israelite in this story, one day, without warning, all of a sudden, your life completely changed. Your security was threatened, right? Your safety was threatened. Your quality of life was was threatened. I think it's so sudden, without warning, one day kind of moments that, that can disrupt our focus the most. If we look at this story, we, we see it uh, It also notes this area of land known as Elah Valley or the Valley of, of Elah. And it was a very common battleground in this time. Essentially, uh, this area was the flagpole of your elementary school, right? You remember like there was some, uh, some altercation would happen at lunch. And you'd be like, man, meet me at the flagpole, 3 p.m., punk, it's going down, right? That's what That's what this area was. Apparently, I'm the only one that had a flagpole at my elementary school, but that's how it worked, so I was gonna work there, right? But the Philistines, the Philistines were Israel's most most qualified enemy. We could call them their biggest rival, and over the last hundred or so years, battles like this popped up all of the time, and here we find two forces, two rivals on two hilltops, a couple of football fields apart, staring each other down like a couple of dogs at the dog park, right, waiting for someone to make the first move. And the Philistines do. But here's the thing, the Philistines move this time was different than any other move they had made in the past. Let's see what happens. Verse four, it says, the Philistine army had a hero named Goliath, who was from the town of Gath. He was over nine feet tall, he wore a bronze helmet, had a bronze armor to protect his chest and legs. The chest armor alone weighed about 125 pounds. He carried a bronze sword strapped to his back and on his spear was so big that the iron spearhead alone weighed more than 15 pounds. A soldier always walked in front of Goliath to carry his shield. Goliath was a war hero, which means he had a reputation. People heard about him, not to mention he was nine feet tall. We don't have any reason today to believe that Goliath wasn't literally nine feet tall. I know you can read different things and people will speculate different things, but here's the thing, the Bible is true in all of its detail, all of its facts, all of its, all of its accounts, it's true and accurate. And so the detail that the Bible gives explaining Goliath's appearance was uncommon. The Bible does not do that often. So when it does, we need to take note So we can literally interpret Goliath to be nine feet tall. Not only that, he had somewhere between 250 and 500 pounds of armor on. I mean, just think about that alone. He had a couple of human men attached to his physical stature, right? It's like one of those Instagram videos you watch of these like, NFL athletes working out. You're like, how do they lift that much weight? That's what Goliath, Goliath looked like, right? You're thinking, I don't want anything to do with this crazy guy. And then to make it even worse, he had an entourage, He literally had a normal-sized human carrying his nearly human-sized shield, banging it. Goliath is here, Goliath is here, right? That was what Goliath did everywhere he went. And Goliath comes in hot, like you'd expect a war hero to come in. And here's what Goliath says. He says here in uh, 1 Samuel verse eight, we'll go back to it. It says, Goliath went out and he shouted to the army of Israel, This was the part of the story I really wish I gave Pastor Joseph a mic and he could read Goliath's words. I feel like his deep kind of boisterous voice is how Goliath would sound. But let's just kind of think about his voice as we're reading this part here, right? Why are you lining up for battle? I'm the best soldier in our army and all all of you are in Saul's army. So choose your best soldier to come out and fight me. If he can kill me, our people will be your slaves. But if I can kill him, your people will be our slaves. Here and now, I challenge Israel's whole army. Choose someone to fight for me. Saul and his men heard Goliath. They heard what he said, but they were so frightened of Goliath, they couldn't do a thing. Goliath I, Goliath liked to talk trash, and, and I, I like that. I like that about Goliath. I like to talk some trash too. If we play some pickup basketball, you're gonna hear some trash talking for sure from me. Right? It, 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 The thing that's interesting with Goliath's trash talking, he's not just talking trash. He's challenging Israel to what's known as single combat or representative warfare. It was something fairly common in this time period. Basically, what would happen was a champion fighter from either side would come down and fight one-on-one in the valley, and the winner of that battle would determine the winner of the war. Why it's important to note that is they believe that the one-on-one battle, the gods, would determine the winner of that battle. And why that's so important is because Goliath's words aren't just challenging the Israelite nation as people. He's not just challenging their their mentality, their mindset, intimidating them. He's challenging their faith. Goliath is challenging every fabric, every part, every fiber of this nation. And for 40 days, he came down into that valley and he shouted these taunts to the Israelites. And for 40 days, the Israelites were frozen with fear. Other translations say deeply shaken, panicked, very afraid. And if it were any other nation in this story, any other nation but Israel, I'd understand the panic, I'd understand the fear, but Israel was was God's nation. God had proven himself faithful to this nation time and time and time again. God had proven himself capable of defeating an entire army of giants. And here we see one in the valley taunting, and it's completely paralyzing this entire country. It's, It's such a picture of how bad the focus of the Israelite nation had drifted. It was such a, It's such a telling, telling thing. And it's crazy to me that God's people in this moment, they never responded in God's ways. King Saul was frozen with fear in his tent. He never called the troops together for a, a prayer service. He never called people together to say, man, we gotta put our attention, guys, on God and not on the giant. They, they, they just, everybody, Everybody was just so afraid because their focus was on the wrong thing. And it's here in this story that we find our first principle today about what a fixed focus on Jesus does. A fixed focus does this a fixed focus doesn't act like things are okay when they aren't okay. See, the Israelites were afraid. And for 40 days, they put on their armor, they picked up their sword and they lined up as if they were gonna go charge that valley and fight, knowing good and well, they didn't have a clue or a chance of doing that. For 40 days, they acted like things were okay. I imagine in that camp, it was, suck it up, soldier. Come on, you all be tough. We're men, we're boys. We're, we're, let's go, right? Hey. Tim Allen, a little home improvement there, <laughs> right? But, but here's the thing. We can feel the pressure to do the same, We can feel pressure to to act and pretend like things are okay when they blatantly and clearly aren't okay. We can feel pressure to to ignore the pain in our life or ignore the, the harsh realities of our broken and fallen world. And what I want you to know today, church, is God wants our honesty. God can handle your grief and he welcomes your tears. And God, he wants us to come to him with honesty. What I can guarantee you today, there will be times in your life that just seem unfair. Times where you feel like that just doesn't make any sense. Times you have no idea what to do. Times you'll be so overcome with, with grief and with shame, you won't even wanna get out of your bed. That's okay. It's okay because when you admit those things to God, your fear, your pain, your confusion, your hurt, your shame, your regret. It's in that moment that you're able to pick up his strength and move on. What I can tell you today, church, is some of the, the hardest prayers I've ever prayed, personally, have been in the times that I've been looking down in the valley, staring down a giant. See, those, those are the prayers that are complete dependency on God. Those are the prayers that I pray. God, if you don't show up, I'm done. I don't have a chance. I don't have an option here. You see, fixed focus, man, fixed focus. It has to, it has to admit that things aren't okay if they're not okay. Let's go back to our story because next we're, we're introduced to the character David in 17. We're gonna pick it up in uh, verse 12, chapter 17, verse 12. David's father, Jesse, was an old man. He had eight sons. David's was Jesse's youngest son. Skipping to verse 17, it says, one day Jesse told David, hurry and take this sack of roasted grain, these 10 loaves of bread to your brothers at the army camp. Find out how your brothers are doing and bring back something that shows they're all right. right.' They're with Saul's army fighting the Philistines in Elah Valley. David obeyed his father. He got up early the next morning and he left someone else in charge of the sheep. Then he loaded the supplies and he started off. The second thing we want to note about a fixed focus is a fixed focus is obedient. A fixed focus is obedient. David's father, Jesse, asked David to do something on the surface that felt like it was completely meaningless. Go deliver this bread basket to your brothers, check on them and let me know how they're doing. It would be very easy for David to say, dad, you're getting old, you're losing a step. I don't know if you know this, I'm I'm watching the sheep. I'm a shepherd. That's where we're alive. Like, our money's there. That's where we make our living. We have servants, like, for days in the house. Send one of them with the bread basket. I'm going to stay here and watch our money. Like, I'm going to actually make some money here, Dad. But he didn't. If you know anything about this story, you know that David, in this point in time of the story, was between the ages of 16 and 18 years old. And I don't know if you know this about teenagers. They know everything. Like, like Everything. (laughs) if you don't believe me just ask one they'll let you know right come on it's a little parent joke for you i have an 11 year old son who acts like a teenager i think he knows everything or he thinks he thinks he knows everything and so a little bit of teenage sass from david in this moment of the story is almost expected but the bible tells us that he was obedient he was obedient to his dad didn't push back and here's what I think is, is really cool because what I like to speculate about that is it was David's obedient spirit that God used as the foundation to build the victory that he was about to uh, encounter. And think about this, if David would have pushed back, what felt like a meaningless task on the surface became the greatest day of his life right? It it was his obedience that allowed God to do that, right? And so what's important, I think, for our journey as we're looking at this, and how does this apply to me? Well, hey, church, if you're admitting to God that things aren't okay, and you don't know what to do, well, your next step is to obey what God's telling you to do, right? Because a fixed focus, It's, it's obedient. It's obedient. Let's jump back to our story here. Verse 31, David goes, he obeys his dad. He goes to the camp. As he gets to the camp, he's, it's right at the same time that Goliath is coming down and, and shouting his daily taunt. And David catches wind of it. But David responds differently than anybody else in that camp. Let's see what David says. So some soldiers overheard David talking, asking questions. Who's this guy in the valley? What's he doing? What's been happening? It's been going on for 40 days. What? What's happening around here? They hear David talking. So they told King Saul what David had said and Saul sent for David and David came. You just, you just feel the desperation in the nation of Israel. Saul sent for David because this one person, this one person is speaking hope about this situation. Who is he? Bring him here. Let me hear what he has to say. Your majesty, David said, the Philistines shouldn't turn us into cowards. I'll go fight him myself. You don't have a chance against him, Saul said. You're a boy. He's been a soldier his whole life. You're talking crazy, kid. But David told him, your majesty, I take care of my father's sheep. And when one of them is dragged off by a lion or a bear, I go after it. And I beat the wild animal until the sheep go, lets the sheep go. If the wild animal turns and attacks me, I grab it by the throat and I kill it. Sir, I have killed lions and bears that way. And I can kill this worthless Philistine. He shouldn't have made fun of the army of the living God. The Lord has rescued me from the claws of lions and bears and he will keep me safe from the hands of the Philistine. And come on, that feels like a a movie, right? Like you're just ready to go. It's like William Wallace coming, freedom, let's go, right? Powerful words from David. And what David shows us there in terms of a fixed focus is that a fixed focus remembers we're never alone. A fixed focus remembers we're, we're never alone. Let's not skip over some of those references that that David makes. He's a shepherd and he says that I've killed a a lion and a bear. He says actually that I I grabbed it by the throat and killed it. David was a bad, bad man, right? Like, Like think of Jason Bourne. He's out throat punching bears in the wild. What did you do on your Saturday? Mowed your grass? Awesome, right? Like David was a bad dude. And he's sharing these stories to King Saul, not to brag, but he's making a statement because he said the Lord, will rescue me. See, David was was believing that not only God was gonna be with him, but that God was gonna fight for him, right? David was was pointing back to these moments, pointing back to these uh, episodes of God's faithfulness, saying God was faithful with the bear, he was faithful with the lion, and I'm anchoring my hope, I'm anchoring my faith on those moments of God's proven faithfulness, and it's from that place that I can step out into this unknown valley and trust that God is gonna win, right? David, he remembered, he remembered that he, wasn't, that he wasn't alone. And I don't know if you've ever been there before, but I know in my own life, trusting God the first time, man, that, that's, that's really hard, right? The, the first giant, the first scare, the first situation that it's bigger than my own capacity to figure out, the first time is the hardest. But then after that, it's just a matter of remembering God's faithfulness like David was doing in this moment. It was pointing back. No, 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 no. You were faithful with the lion. You were faithful with the bear. Why wouldn't you be faithful with the giant? Right? It, it, it's remembering. It's remembering that we're never, we're never alone in church. That was the difference between David's willingness to go down into that valley and Saul being paralyzed and frozen in his tent. David remembered that he wasn't alone. Focused, a fixed focus remembers you're, you're never alone. Let's finish up this story here together Saul says, all right, go ahead and fight him. I hope the Lord will help you. Saul had his own military clothes and armor put on David. He gave David a bronze helmet to wear. David strapped on a sword and tried to walk around, but he was not used to wearing those things. I can't move with all this stuff on, David said. Just not used to it. It was kind of interesting with this story is if you study the book of 1 Samuel, you'll know that Saul was anointed king because of two things. One, he was handsome. And two, he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He had a reputation for being a Hebrew giant. And it's kind of wild to me. We talked about Goliath liking to talk trash. I bet that Goliath was such a good trash talker, he did his homework. And he knew in the back of his mind as he was shouting those taunts up to the army that Saul, physically speaking, was Israel's best option to come down and fight him. He was shouting those taunts, saying, Hey, let's go giant to giant. Come on, you're six foot five, Saul? I'm nine foot, baby. Let's go. Bring it on. Let's come on down to my valley. Let me give you a little taste of what a real giant's like, right? It's such a a telling picture of how bad Saul's focus had drifted off of God. The, the, The highest level of leadership in the nation was frozen in his tent, he couldn't even leave his tent. And here we see that. And another telling sign of how bad Saul's focus had drifted is he puts on to David his armor. Saul does to David what fear can do so often to us, pile things on us, give us extra weight to carry we're not supposed to carry, restrict us, put us into a position that we're not supposed to be existing in. And David felt that. That's why he said, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm a shepherd, not a, sh- a soldier. Quit pushing me into this box. And if David would have walked down into that valley with all of that armor on, man, he would have been defeated. It's a pivotal, pivotal moment here in the story where David is choosing to trust God rather than the voice of fear. Let's finish our story here. Verse 40, David took off the armor. He picked up the shepherd's stick, went out to a stream and he picked up five smooth rocks, put them in a leather bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he went straight toward Goliath. This is my favorite part of the story. I know that's kind of odd. You're supposed to like the end when he cuts off the giant's head and holds it up and it's the victory, right? But you'll have to read that on your own this week as you study this story yourself. But, But this is my favorite, this is my favorite part. It says he picked up his stick and he went straight towards Goliath that's the last thing we want to note today a fixed focus a fixed focus will lead you to pick up your stick and go hey uh uh, pastor john mentioned i i like a good uh i like a good english story i used to teach english and so i like a good i like a good prop when we're talking so i want to i'll pull out a prop here i got a good uh, shepherd's staff good shepherd's stick is the Translation we just read was, and I know some of you are thinking that's not a biblically accurate shepherd staff. I understand it was three weeks before Christmas and it was the best Amazon had. Uh, It was, it was $39.99 instead of uh, $499.99 as well too. So, uh, just go with me for a minute, because this stick was about the size of the stick that David would have had that day, and this stick was a symbol, a couple of things. In fact, there's a couple of symbols in those verses we just read that I want to note here as we close. The stick was a symbol of who David was and how God was going to get the victory. The stick, it it, it was (laughs) representing that, that David was a shepherd, not a soldier. And I find it interesting that David had to set this stick down in order to put on the armor. See, what David is telling us in that story is David only could carry the stick or Saul's sword. He couldn't carry both. He had to make a choice. Church, today you have to make a choice. Are you gonna pick up your stick and go after the things that God is calling you to go after this year? Or are you gonna set the stick down and pick up the sword and be weighed down, burdened, lacking focus, restricted? You gotta make a choice today, church. Pick up your stick, you gotta go. Right, and what David does is says he picks up that stick in that tent. The Bible walks us through a couple of familiar scenes. David picks up that stick because the other thing that that stick represents is it represents truth. It represents that God is who he says he is. It represents that, that God is powerful and mighty, sovereign, in control, and able to defeat any giant that I ever face. And I believe that as David picked that stick back up, he was white knuckling that bad boy. And he was making a commitment in his head that said, I'm never setting this down again. And he picked himself up. He picked it, we gotta arm ourselves, church. We gotta pick up God's truth. We gotta arm ourselves with that and we can't let our stick down. And it was from that place, arming himself with God's truth, not Saul's armor, that he stepped out of that tent. And then he walked out the back of that that hill, not the front, the back. Goliath was on the front, but he walked down the back of the hill first, away from Goliath's taunts, away from the, the chaos and the fear in the Israelite camp. And he went down to a quiet place, the stream bed. And that stream bed is a picture of God's presence. It's a picture of his peace. David separated himself from all the chatter and all the noise with God's truth in his hand. And he went to a stream to prepare himself through prayer, reminding himself that he wasn't alone. The last thing it tells us is that he started picking up stones. To pick up the stones, David had to probably take a knee like this and had his staff in his hand, a stick in his hand. tells us he grabbed five smooth stones, right? It, it, it'd be very easy just to think he was arming and preparing himself for battle, but here's what I'd like to think David was doing at that stream bed as he's picking up those stones. He, he picks up the first stone and he says, that was the, the lion in the ravine. Picks up another stone, oh, that, was, that was the bear at the edge of the woods. God, you were, you were faithful there. You'll be faithful now. I gotta believe that that David's kneeling, arming himself for this battle. He's he's praying the kind of prayers that we talked about earlier praying, right? The, The prayers that sounded like, God, you have got to show up because I don't know what's going to happen, but I know you can conquer this giant. And if you don't, I'm dead and your nation is done. He's praying honest prayers, admitting that things weren't okay. But because of those prayers, he was able to pick up God's strength and armed with God's truth, armed with the truth that he wasn't alone and armed with God's strength, he was able to step up and walk down into that valley and face the giant, right? Church, focus. Focus determines everything. Can I encourage you today to to pick up your stick and go? Look, I know the giant's scary. I know the situation feels heavy. I know you don't know what to do, but you gotta pick up your stick. You gotta go. Focus. Focus determines everything. Would you do me a favor here, church? Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes here at Winter Park, South Orlando, Sanford. If you're watching online, I believe there's some of you here today that you gotta fix your focus on God for maybe the first time. Here's what I can tell you about God. He loves you so much. He knows everything about you, the good, He knows the imperfections. He knows the mistakes you've made and he loves you anyway. Bible tells us that he loves you so much. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you. The death that you and I deserve, Jesus took that on. He lived a perfect sinless life and died as our replacement. But he didn't just die. Three days later, he rose again, conquering the grave, conquering death, making a way for you and I to have relationship back with God. If you're here today and you've never put your focus, you've never started a relationship with God, but today's the day you wanna change that. You want to do that. You wanna make a decision to start relationship with God. I wanna pray with you here in just a minute because I believe there's others of you here today. You made a decision in your past to start a relationship with God, but you've lost your focus. Today's the day you wanna start fresh, put your focus back on God. If that's you today, I wanna pray with you as well. If you wanna put your focus onto God for the first time or you wanna refocus and recommit your life to God, I want you just to raise your hand here as a sign of saying, today is a day that God is first in my life. I put my focus onto him. Come on, all across our room here at South. Come on, at Sanford, raise your hand up as a sign of surrender saying, today is my day. Amazing, thank you, man, thank you. Unbelievable. It's the best decision you're ever gonna make. I love you so much. If that's you today, you can put your hand down. I want you to pray that prayer right there from your seat that I pray out loud. Pray something like this. God, thank you. Thank you for this moment. Moment, God, that I know you're real. That I know you love me. That I know you have never given up on me. God, I acknowledge today that I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus, you are my savior. I surrender my life to you. Come and have your way with my life. God, I thank you that today I'm different because of this decision. I thank you, God, that today I'm forgiven because of this decision. Forever changed my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate all those decisions that were just made.